And welcome to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. And tonight we have a special guest contributor. It's Jonathan Sutherland, back from his travels. So enjoy the interview. You're listening to Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed. The People's Podcast. We are here to rock the podcast world. Well, good evening, Jonathan. How are you doing today? I'm not too bad. It's great to be back. I've been listening to the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed while I've been traveling around the world. I've seen the uh, number of downloads rocket up towards the 3,000 mark and I thought oh I've got to get back and get involved uh, so slightly jet lagged at the moment and only got back from the far east a few days ago so if I'm a bit sleepy uh, I do apologise oh no, that's fine so what nice places were you in? well I've been in Thailand mainly um, over the last uh, 10 days or, or so with work which is very pleasant indeed yeah. um, lots of green curries far too many green curries in fact <laughs> Um, but it's uh, it's all good. I'm back now. I'm back to Thailand again on Friday, though, so uh, it's only a brief respite in the snow here in uh, in the south of Scotland. I can see our listeners going green with envy after hearing that. Being <laughs> yeah, green with food poisoning after the supper we just had. <laughs> that was my cooking. It's a special recipe called chicken beef. Chicken beef because we didn't know if it was either chicken or beef, which, you know, I'm not Gordon Ramsay, but, uh, you know... It's never a great sign. Anyway, I was enjoying listening to it all, you two talking about the school days, and I was at school with those two reprobates too, so a lot of those stories uh, rang true, and I was desperate to contribute, but uh, <laughs> the legal team advised me I'm better to keep my mouth shut. Oh, wait, oh well, that'll be on the memoirs, I think. <laughs> exactly. We published 50 years after we're all deed and gone. Yeah. So it's been a very busy week. There's been lots of things happening, hasn't there? I mean, especially if you look at in politics, um, interviews with the Labour Party. Um, they've launched so many different ideas for the manifesto, um, most of which have gone down pretty badly. And uh, <laughs> yes. you kind of think they're kind of like really scraping the barrel to try and come out with something that might be popular. And in doing so, they're just kind of sacrificing anything that you would think would be pretty much sane, really. It does seem to be sort of civil war, doesn't it? Anything yeah. that Ed Miliband seems to touch seems to turn to uh, the proverbial, really, doesn't it? So you've yeah. had, uh, his own uh, his health policy has been criticised by Alan Milburn. He's come out and said it, it basically won't work. His economic policy seems to be questioned by pretty much everybody, really, yeah, yeah. Um, in business. And, you know, even parts of his own party, the Blairites in his own party, seem to have turned against him too. Yeah, so yeah. very turbulent week. Yeah, it's been interesting because one of the stories I heard, um, and I'm not, I, I think it's, it probably does carry a fair bit of truth, is that out there, I think across the nation, uh, people are, you know, just like in the 80s, they were a bit, kind of, they didn't want to say that they supported the Tories. They were a bit, you know, because it sounded better to say you were a Labour supporter um, or you're going to vote Labour um, because that was kind of the more popular thing to do. But actually, when it came to the election, they ended up voting for Thatcher, you know, in, in 30 years ago. And I think a little bit of that is like that now. That I think because people realise, well, the economy is, isn't too bad. It's certainly better than where it was. And there's maybe a, a, quite a bit of hope that they're roughly going in the right direction. Um, and I think people have just gone off this idea, certainly I know when Labour say, it, oh, it's a cost-of-living crisis. But I, when I speak to people, I don't hear that at all. You know, I, I just think it's, it's a nice thing, you know, it's an easy thing for people to say, but it doesn't seem to really be very truthful. And I think people know, maybe they don't like the fact that actually the economy is getting better, because they would like to think maybe that's what Labour should have done. 
but they're actually admitting that, well, it is better than what it was and things are going forward. So we either have to kind of make, you know, be part of the plan and go, kind of go forward. Or if you're going to, you know, if you want to go backwards and start adding lots of taxes and all these other kind of regressive things, you know, it's just going to go, it's just going to go bang again, isn't it? So it's I, going to I think off. it is. I, I, I think you're right. It seems to be very much in, in vogue at the moment to be left wing, really. I can yeah. never really understand why obviously we need some aspects of the states uh, to do do certain things defend us and police and, and things like that um, but it seems to be that the cool thing to be in metropolitan circles is to be a supporter of the Labour Party but if yeah. you actually look at the policies and what they want to do and look at the history books of what they actually did um, mm. during the final years of the Blair government and when Brown was uh, at the controls, um, yeah. it wasn't great, was it really? So, yeah, um, yeah I, I don't understand it. It just seems to be a, a trendy thing to support the left. Yeah, yeah. I will have to see what happens because, I mean, it's. I think we've, we've hit almost a critical mass. That we, we either start going forward um, potentially with another Conservative government, but I think there's, if they have a chance of doing it, well, at least they're going to follow the same kind of line as what they have in the last five years. Um, and I'm not particularly a Tory supporter so much, but um, at least you kind of think they're less, they're, they're more likely to at least keep taxes relatively lower, you would hope, um, and try and make things better for business. Um, but uh, but you just think if Labour or the SNP potentially, if there is a joint coalition with them, you just think what are they going to come oh, up well, with? Then it's literally all that, over. That, that's going to going to happen. And you know, I'm not trying to say this just to be to make um, a story or anything. But I really just think you know they've seen that when they put the the fifty percent rate up, they they hardly brought in any money. And when now when they've they they've took it down again to forty five percent, you know we've seen a bit of growth. You know we've seen things actually come about. So you you can see that there, there isn't really any truth now when they start saying we start raising the taxes you know people need to pay more because actually what they're doing is it's now teachers you know head head teachers and um, our head of departments doctors and you know and the high-end nurses and so on who are into that 40 percent bracket and they are the ones paying this price now and i think this maybe going to backtrack when they start seeing their pay you know being cut and seeing all that tax coming off their wages they're actually going to start to see well actually no we don't want this and you know, but we we need to warn. I feel you. We're going to warn people now. Well, that's what you're going to get if you vote for um, the, you know Labour Party because that's that's what they're offering. You know, they won't get the money from the top. You know, they always say, <clears throat> always say they'll get it from the rich, but they won't. And as a result, you know, it's going to come from everybody else. Um, and that's that's the the dire warning that that that, that uh, yeah. I think has to go out there. Oh, that that's that's the trouble. The the high tax rates that they they want if they're after the top one percent, which seems to be what seems to rile everybody yeah. up. The top one percent are very very mobile. Yeah. They tend to be, I don't know, lawyers, uh, accountants, perhaps top doctors, and these are jobs where you can go and work in the USA. You can work yeah. in Singapore. You can go to Dubai. I mean, the bangers, I suppose, are the the obvious one that is an incredibly mobile job straight yeah. off to New York. I mean, yeah. and it it's not great. I don't agree with what bankers get paid. I think it is um, a little bit too much. But what can you do? They will it's just go. Market. They will just go somewhere yeah. else. It's well, you say it's a private market, but, but the, the if, money if the money is there and, the, and they can come up. Well, with the it. banks were bailed out by the ah, UK. To the, yeah, to the ones that were taxpayers. Yeah, to, be fair. to the ones that were so, bailed out. Fair enough. But I think the private well, ones I mean, are. The, the trouble is, you could say they're all bailed out because. If the government will step in to support yeah. the RBS, if they'll step in to support um, Lloyd's and all the other ones that went bust, what was it, yeah. H-bust, they called it in the end, uh, um, yeah. th then there's a kind of moral hazard there because all the other banks yeah. can take risks. So you could say the whole thing is kind of yeah. insured by the UK government. So, yeah. uh, But uh, then again, you know, we're, we do need bankers as much as we rile them. And yeah, we definitely need more competition. And I don't actually think that the FCA, which is the new financial commission for or financial services authority regulator, um, is any better than its previous. No, one. Well, they're just not smart enough. You know, yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, the thing. That's at the thing. end of the day, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. bankers are just far too clever. Yeah, 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 and that's why they, I suppose, they get away with it. And those kind of things. But what was interesting, um, going back to to policy, I mean, what I remember seeing um, David Cameron's speech 
and they were saying that they were going to raise the, the, the what they wanted to do was have a 20% racket right the way up to, I think, for the £50,000. And I actually thought, fantastic, that is something aspirational, which is really, I think, what we need to hear. I mean, what, what is better? You know, encouraging our young people to think you can create something and, and you'll make some good money and you'll still be paying taxes. But, you know, that can be, that is an attitude that can be duplicated. That around the country people can, you know, it switches the light on, switches the, you know, you can see the bulb going on above their heads saying, I can do this, I can fulfil, I can come up with an idea and go forward with it. I mean, that is to me a much more healthy way of doing things than rather than saying, I'm going to take, you know, I will, I, will, I will live a life that I can't afford and that money will come from somebody else who has earned it, you know. It's, you know, I, I don't like this Robin Hood approach of, you know, I'll take what somebody else has to fund a life that I can't really afford. I think we, you know, one of the basic things we need to be in life is, is you need to be honest and say, right, you've got to earn your way forward. If you can't afford something, you either don't buy it or you move to a place where you can afford it, you know, so you, you lower your costs. And then it's a, a much better way to think, I'm going to overcome the odds by working rather than just saying I'm going to fund my life yeah, by somebody else. I mean, they can reduce tax income tax down to 0%, but then they could just start putting the VAT up They'll tax you on your mobile phone. Yeah. Effectively, train tickets are mainly taxed because of the huge government, um, yeah. um, the money that they need to run the lines. Um, yeah. So y- you get taxed either way, really. Yeah. This is what I don't understand about people that just think that lowering taxes is a terrible thing. What do they think happens to that money? Yeah. If you do not pay, if you cut tax in half, do they think all that money just goes into a savings account? Of course yeah, not. Yeah. It goes to buy things. It goes to improve your house. It goes to buy a new car. It goes to do all manner yeah, of different things yeah. to save for your future. That yeah. money doesn't just disappear. It's yeah. just not the state that decides what to do with that money. Yeah. It's still there. And if you've got a, a good, vibrant economy that produces things, it will stay in the economy and yeah, employ people yeah. in the private sector. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a programme on that I started watching on the BBC and it looked like it was going to be quite good. It was called, I think it was Super Rich versus Us or something. And um, and it was based on those who the really top, the, the real money earners. And, you know, they were questioning this, the trickle-down theory. And and in some ways they were right, yes, the super rich, are they, going to, they can only spend so much money. You know, they can buy a Rolls Royce, they can buy a house here, they can do that. Yes, it's putting a, a reasonable amount into the economy, but there's only so many of them that if you multiply all that, it does it, is it really fair? against everybody else and I could see a bit of a point with that but but people forget actually that a lot of you know they, they always say that the famous cliche of you know small business is the backbone of Britain but it's you know it's smaller but you know businesses have to start somewhere and it's all those people that have the small businesses you know sign and earning and wanting to you know they they might have a, their, their 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 goal is to get financially independent so they can sell their business or or know that they can you know it can make, give them a good retirement potentially early retirement so yeah they want to make maybe half a million pound or a million pound over their lifetime and know they can put that money away. So, you know, that's really where, where real business is. And those are the kind of people who will buy cars, who will contribute to the economy and do all these things and also employ more people who in turn will be going to pay income tax and so on. So I think, you know, it, it's, it's a much healthier outlook to, you know, to kind of look in that kind of way than rather than to say, oh, well, let's yeah. tax everything. Yeah, it, it's, you know. it, the way that the media portray it is there's, there's big business Therefore, business is evil, and these yeah. big corporations, I think, do behave terribly mm. sometimes. Um, I, <laughs> although I'm quite happy to buy things cheaply on Amazon because they don't pay tax. Therefore, I pay less for my yeah. goods. So, uh, in a way, I'm a winner. Um, it's just the state that loses that, I suppose. But you're right. There's a mood music around, um, I suppose, Ed Miliband, particularly because yeah. yeah. he seems to be rather an unreformed socialist, yeah. rather, you know, more relevant in the late 70s or early 80s yeah, um, yeah. and this guy just seems to be he's got businesses backs up and the yeah. music now is that this country is not open for business if he gets in yeah. in and I think uh, yeah I think he'll struggle yeah I have to say one of the things that gets me is when they say oh you know they're only interested or the Tories are only interested in the rich or the you know you keep only interested in the rich and so on and yet, in the last five years, and I, something that has personally affected me quite a bit is the rise in the tax threshold. Uh, because before we were paying, I think tax over was about 6800 back in 2010, or thereabouts certainly. And now it's up to 10500 so it's or just, just over 10000 So that has made, for people on quite a small income, 
but you know, if you work part time, that makes a big difference. It does. So you'd be going to LinkedIn then, presumably. Well, they, in all fairness, they did. They did start it. They did start it. I know the Tories have now said they're going to a pledge to extend it to meant to. I think it was about twelve and a half thousand. UKIP have said they would do it to minimum wage, whatever the minimum wage is. They would make that their uh, their their. Um, tax-free allowance so that nobody pays tax on, on minimum wage. So, But I think that's actually one of the best things they could do. In, you know, so yes, in all fairness, give credit to the Lib Dems. They were the ones that came out with it at the start. But now you know, it's been taken over. Because um, I think that's a, if you want to help people on a low income, that's the best thing to do. Just but the, They're not the, paying tax the, on it. The, the thing is, though, that there's far more people on a low income than there are on a high income. Yeah. So if you can get tax off people at the lower end, yeah. I mean, what they're doing is you've got to so many of these zero-hour contracts, so many low-paid jobs, yeah. and they're not paying any tax. That's yeah. why the tax take goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think and you still well, pay VAT and you still pay... The, you do, yeah. but I mean, I think the stupidest thing that Gordon Brown did was to get rid of the 10% tax rate. Yeah. Because then, even from a very low wage, yeah. you were paying into the system. Yeah. Only 10%, it wasn't really very much. But by paying in, you felt you had a right... To, to use services, you were, yeah. you know, um, ah, you were still contributing, contributing. Yeah. and Abs- of course they got rid of that. Yeah. They got rid of that, yeah. yeah. Which was to me, I just thought it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. But our taxes are so confusing; it's so There's complicated. So many of them. And if you get to a hundred thousand pounds, then they take away your personal allowance. Yeah. So between a hundred thousand and a hundred and fourteen thousand or something, yeah. your marginal tax rate is sixty-two percent. Yeah. So yeah. that that's a complete anomaly. Which yeah. you know, everyone talks about fifty percent. But what about people who are earning a hundred thousand who are paying a marginal rate of sixty-two percent? I mean, you're hardly going to get people crying in the street for people earning a hundred thousand pounds, but it's still a a huge anomaly. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. No, it's definitely one of those things that you just wonder where can they go. And I mean, going on from that, you know, when they talk about equality and you know how much more, you know, let's 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 lower the gap between uh, rich and poor. And uh, I just think, well, in Britain, I mean, yes, there there is there is a gap. But, you know, I think it's fundamentally because we're not teaching people how to actually make money properly. And, and I always say, you know, people, when, you, when people ask that question, you know, why is, it, why is it that the gap keeps getting bigger and they blame whatever government that might be that that's what happened. And, you know, the Labour are saying they were going to bring it down, they were going to bring the equality gap down. And under, in the 13 years they were in, it went up you know, markedly. Um, and, and I just think, well, it's go- the reason why it goes up is quite simple. When people learn how to make money, or if they've had inherited wealth and they've got a business that they've run from their fathers had it and so on, it goes down the generations. They, you know, they, if they have got a success principle, they've got a business that works well, it's going to be in their interest to learn how to keep that going. And if they obviously manage to do that, you know, they're not going to stop because it's, you know, they learn how to make wealth, how to create it, they're going to keep going. And it's the same with anybody else who starts a business and that business actually works and goes forward. You know, if they learn how to make money, they're unlikely to stop. Yeah, but and not everyone can run a business, yeah. though. Oh, no, I'm not saying everyone can. But the difference is that the answer to this issue is that when people learn how to make money, they don't tend to stop doing it. They tend, that's why you're going to get people who suddenly learn how to do something and then the success follows them, you know, and they create wealth and it, and it kind of multiplies. Well, the, the biggest problem is we're not teaching our young, or even all our generations, really, that there's this difference, you know, People, it's almost like with the labour years, they sent everybody to university as if to say you're going to be a millionaire when you get your degree and you'll go and you'll get yeah. a job and well, it'll be something I, great. You could, I think education's at the bottom of yeah. a lot of this. And, I think the education yeah. has slipped, certainly. Yeah. It's um, business that helps make the real money, not not just going for a standard job with a, with a, with a degree or whatever. I mean, yes, there are good jobs with degrees, but it's not really going to make overall the real money that business makes. And if you want to make money, you need to be in business overall. You need to have a good idea. If you want to make a lot of money, then you need to, uh, as a Marxist would say, exploit labour, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, employ other people to make the money for you. But then create jobs. That's that's the thing. But the more people that create jobs, and there's a a great guy on, um, it was the big question on one of these shows um, last week, somebody was complaining about their boss was terrible. He said, well, go and work for someone else. Yeah, that's true. Go move, go somewhere else, go work for someone else. Because there's plenty of people. If you're motivated, yeah. you're ready to work. There's plenty of people that will employ you. Yeah, and yeah. I think people are they're not willing to move around yeah. anymore. Yes, you know? that's and true. They want everything kind of set and paid for. Uh, which yeah, is, I mean you can sort of understand that if you've got a yeah. family living somewhere. But yeah, I mean the areas of the country prosper, and areas. I mean, 150 years ago, if you were in 
yeah. in sort of Huddersfield or Manchester. These are boom towns, you know, yeah. back then yeah. in the Victorian era. But and now it's all done in London with financial services. Yeah. And in 150 years, it might change again. Yeah. So people have got to move. Yeah, I mean that was one of our main reasons for coming out of Glasgow because our costs were getting were going up and up, and we felt we couldn't get the opportunities there that we that we wanted to do. So we came to the borders, and primarily because we knew our costs would pretty much be half um, coming down here, and that has allowed us to to you know have much better you know quality time with our family, um, and and not have the pressure, but still know we can do quite well, and and it's you know and I think if I you know when I say to people. City life is nice, but actually there are opportunities, I believe, very much in the countryside. Um, and now with the power of the internet, you can work from home so much more. You can and, do. And I, it's, I, you know, it's, I, it's I definitely... can't work from home, and I've had to move to London to get the job that I wanted to do. Mm. And that's expensive, but that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's the job yeah. I wanted. I wanted to get the experience in that job. So you, you, you've got to, you just got to get in your car and, oh, and drive six hours. You know? yeah. And yeah. You know, yeah, you've got to, got to do these things. Yeah. Well, this is, we're kind of moving on to our next topic. See how you get on with this one. Um, what about charities and foreign aid? Now, I know you were looking at the papers uh, over the weekend, and it's quite a big story about um, the, the rather unfortunate case of the chap who was mugged in, was it Newcastle? That's right, it got me thinking. A chap called uh, Alan Barnes, a um, 67-year-old chap. Uh, seems like quite a nice guy, really. Uh, um, very... Uh, Partly disabled, really. Very, very short, you know, um, very vulnerable guy. He was mugged and left in the street. And um, there was a beautician called Katie Cutler who felt a bit sorry for him. And um, on the internet, uh, there's a website called GoFundMe, and she set up a little um, a page where people can make donations, hoping to get £100 just to get him something nice, get him back on his feet again. And it turns out that... They've now got nearly £300,000 in, in donations. Yeah. So it raises the question, really, if people want to give, they will give. Mm-hmm. But they will give on their own terms and they'll decide. So it got me thinking, these huge charities, which are sort of partly government-run yeah. and government-funded with marketing departments, chief executives on six-figure salaries, it, in a way, with the internet... You, you don't need that. You can yeah, have a, a, yeah. an internet-based campaign and people can give money directly yeah. to a cause, such as this gentleman. It goes straight into his, his back pocket. I hope he gives Katie something too for her, for her efforts. Um, so where does that leave the big charities, Hugh? What yeah. do you think? I mean, well, what's very interesting is that, I mean, I, I worked for a short time for a major charity and at the time we were told that uh, when we were, we were out kind of in, in supermarkets with a table and, and, we, were, and uh, we were trying to sign people up for kind of direct debits. And it was a very good cause. There's no doubt the cause was just... Um, but we were told not to tell people, uh, or if they asked us, um, did they get government funding? And uh, we were told to say no, when actually it was the opposite. Um, they were getting government funding for it that was matching whatever money they raised. And that kind of made me think, hmm, if they're telling us not to do that, that's not very good. I mean, in the end, I only worked for them for a, f- a few weeks anyway. It was just really temporary work. Um, but the fact that I thought, well, this, where is this going? And I started to look uh, more at this, and I suddenly realised that this, you know, this, the charities um, receive a fortune um, in funding from the government. Um, and I really thought, you know, this is, they're not really being truthful. Uh, and then when you look at so many government charities, which are pretty much, they now, instead of really government services, they set them up as charities um, to kind of cover it, to make it look a bit more um, honest or kind of more as if it's more of the public, you know, kind of voluntary service. But actually, when you realise that all these people are paid, all the money comes from the government. You know, they're not out there with buckets in the street saying, please give us money, uh, apart from the taxpayers' money that you're going to pay uh, from your income. Um, but, you know, and I just think that it's a bit dodgy. It's kind of, it's trying to blur the line between real kind of public services and and then just... And this charities. is the mysterious third sector, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 the question I want to know, and I don't know, and it's probably quite hard to find out, is where does that money come from? Which budget does it, does it come from? Because yeah. it won't come from health, it won't come from the care budget, um, perhaps children's Maybe budget. Foreign aid. Even foreign aid. I don't know yeah. where it comes from. And who's accountable for that money? Yeah. Because these charities, as most large organisations do, they, they sort of take on a... Yeah. You know, they just employ people, they set up structures, various yeah. departments. Um, well, and I know that riles people yeah. up. And don't worry, I think a lot of the work they do is, is good. But I, the, I don't like that link with, with 
direct yeah. link now yeah. with, with politics and politicians who presumably yeah. can get their fingers on the controls of these charities and yeah. use them for whatever yeah. means that they want to. Yeah. No, I, I certainly think it's kind of... They, there's only so much you can take. I mean, on a slightly lighter note, for this, some of the charities that maybe... They would probably regard them, themselves as pretty serious, but are not maybe... So, so, they're not maybe dealing with kind of human issues, more like looking at like some of the animal charities and some of these other ones that you see advertising. It seems to be continuously on ITV3. seems to be the main sponsor. Because <laughs> when I do caring work... Um, and you know a lot of my, my clients will what are watch they spending this. on advertising well, these they so, but they're so emotional you know and they and because they're targeted at maybe all the elder generation or people who might be watching TV at that yeah. time um, who you know and the way that they do it is so it's so targeted yes you know to bring their emotions up and say oh that's terrible and you know the poor old dog's been left outside and it's a terrible case sure enough but you know they say only give us three pound a month yeah. and anybody there and you yeah. find out that some of these people are signing up to five or ten of these different charities well, you know, and they've been doing that for ages and they keep getting all the mail shots and they get phoned up to see if they can give any more um, and all this kind of stuff and I just think you know is that you know and it the time, doesn't seem right yeah, does it and yeah. the charities it's actually charities in um, uh, getting other companies really hard sell companies to work on their behalf to then phone these people up you know once they've signed up yeah it's like money 50 quid or the puppy gets it I mean yeah you know, <laughs> it is, I know it's, it, it it's is pretty distasteful isn't it really? and I do wonder at some of these ones as well that were some of the that were going into Eastern Europe or former troubled countries just how legitimate they are because some of them look like they've been put together on a tiny budget and you just think oh I don't know if yeah. that's actually true I, I would just be wary of giving my money to some of them because you just think hmm it, I mean you always look for like a charity number and all the rest of it but you still yeah, know but what they can that, be, they what can be up to things who's regulating the charities I know it seems terrible to diss charities doesn't it but I just think with the the internet, people can give their money more precisely to who they want to give it to. Yeah, yeah. And if they wanted to give that guy £300,000, yeah. what he was going to do with it, I yeah. don't know. But yeah, yeah. the money's out there. People, yeah. are, people will give. Yeah. People probably should give, but on their own terms, yeah. not because they feel bullied into it or uh, blackmailed into it by um, uh, emotional scenes on the television or the Dis- Disasters Emergency Commission. Uh, well, I remember when the tsunami happened, that horrendous tsunami in Indonesia and affected Thailand and all, all around that whole area. Um, and the government couldn't keep up. You know, trying to say, oh, we'll give them this amount of money. But the, because obviously the public were so, you know, it was such a horrendous event, they felt, you know, moved to give. And, the, the, you know, the private sums were exceeding everything. And I think rightly so, because I, I don't want I mean, yes, I want government to help and step in in certain areas, but um, I don't feel that they should feel obliged to say, look how much money we're spending. Because at the end of the day, that's our money, and we have no control over it at the end of it. Um, but people like Michael Schumacher actually gave so I think it was about five million euros or thereabouts. It was a considerable sum of money towards that, and kind of showed me that actually, you know, the power of, as you say, people just independently giving money to these things was a far better and you know better way of doing things. And Definitely, actually, although I mean, it sort of maybe brings you on to foreign aid to an extent. I, I think it'd be far more sensible instead of saying we're going to spend 07 percent a year on yeah. foreign aid, we can set aside a certain amount of money that, if required, the country could spend. So yeah. if a tsunami occurred, if like, the earth, earthquake occurred somewhere, you could, you could then activate it yeah. for a reason and help yeah. these countries, as opposed to legally having to give 0.7% every yeah. year. When yeah. It seemed in the middle of December people were just running around yeah. giving money to virtually anything to, uh, to hit the target. Um, yeah. It seems yeah, absolutely horrendous. ludicrous, wasn't yeah. it, really? Yeah. And then who... With the foreign aid again, who regulates it? We don't know where it goes. I mean, I know there were there were rumours of of you know in one year they gave about was it you know seventy million dollars to a particular country, and that same year um, the government involved or the the leader of that of that country bought himself a Learjet. And you know, and unfortunately, <laughs> these stories are true. And this is what makes people think this yeah, is a very good way. You know, thank, yeah. you know, thanks to the generosity of the British people, we're funding you know very nice luxury air travel for some people that for might not be the most. Yeah, exactly. and, and you just think yeah. that's not great. I'd rather they cut that. And I have to say, if I was a, in a position of influence, that's the first thing I'd be saying: get rid of all that. You spend twelve billion a year. I'd say it, cut at least ten billion of it and have two billion put aside, as you were saying, for emergencies. That would go an awful long way for any any emergency that happened in the, throughout the year in any place in the world, I would have thought, as a contribution. Uh, absolutely. I mean, th- there's always money in, in the budgets that, that they have set aside, I think for wars and things. Yeah. And, and our, our country loves having wars. <laughs> um, I think they would 
saying that if they had to go into Syria or something, oh, well, how are you going to fund it? And George Osman was saying, well, we always have yeah. a certain amount of money set aside for any reason that we need to defend the country. We can spend the money, obviously. So why not have the same thing for foreign aid? Set aside yeah. a certain amount, rather like pre-authorising your credit card, yeah. have a certain yeah. amount available that can be spent, but if it doesn't need to be spent, it's don't not. spend it. Yeah, yeah. And I think it would stop all that kind of highly paid kind of charity lot that are just creaming the money and, and people because people I mean I, I remember this one it was one of the ones now it was the um, Christian Aid uh, charity which which goes around a lot of Church of Scotland's uh, it's very very popular for Church of Scotland and, and they ask their congregations to give and uh, to go out and put the, the, the envelopes through the doors and a lot of the, the congregations are completely unaware that actually you know their, their, their executives are paid a large sum of money we're talking over £100,000 um, for the chief executive, and you know that's that could probably be the whole amount of money that Scotland raised for for um, for Christian aid, and it's that's really just going to pay his salary. Yeah, well, that's, you, they, and, they've become businesses, haven't you they? Know, and I just think, hang on a minute, and they also they are incredibly political, and they have a, a big political voice, and I think, and again, congregations completely unaware of what they of what these people are standing for, you know, and if they actually go into their website for something that's supposedly Christian. It doesn't share very much at all with the gospel. Um, you know, it seems to be more concerned with climate change and everything else, um, and eradicating poverty, which is something that biblically can't really be done, um, and isn't even advised to be done. We're there to help the poor, but not to um, eradicate poverty. It's never mentioned like that. So it's very much political, and there's an awful lot of money in, involved, but it's not really what people expect it to be. I know that's just one example. So it's, I think it's really dodgy. And, and well, that's why they employ marketing people on £120,000 yeah. a year, I suppose. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. If, if that's a way to, to get more money into a good cause, then maybe it's worth it. It's like yeah. the chief executives of councils get paid £200,000. Yeah. But then if they've got, more than that sometimes, but then if they've got a budget of, I don't yeah. know, £200 million, and yeah. they spend that, very wisely, then maybe they are worth it. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know, but it just feels one who has <laughs> well, well, exactly the rarity. Hence tea. It just it, it just it may be sensible in pure yeah. terms, but it just feels mucky yeah, yeah, and wrong. Yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like the the public sector in some cases the chiefs almost regard themselves like the private sector. They they still think they're as big as that. They're as good as that. And I always thought, well, the public sector you're supposed to go in because it's a calling, because it's a of you know a, a vacation really. I mean, they only started paying them not that long ago, and now the salaries have just gone through the roof. And you just you know, and you just think, well, goodness sake, that's not what it's supposed to be about, you know. And then they have huge pensions as well, and you just think, we've got to start getting a grip. This is that's where the money's going. That's where our debt is. Yeah, and but our, they, and, they you know, we've all seen Westminster. They peg themselves to senior figures in industry. That's what right. they do. I mean, it's which they have nothing in common, you know. <laughs> I know, but if you want to get good people, maybe you've got to pay the money. I I yeah. I, I don't know. It, yeah. it feels wrong, but. I, I don't know, and with the charities, it definitely feels wrong. If you're the boss of a charity on two hundred k a year, yeah. mm. it was a very interesting thing um, about the Greens recently, um, and because uh, I know quite a lot of people are always quite surprised when they hear that somebody is voting Green, um, only because when you look at some of the policies on the manifesto, and you really have to think, my goodness me, that is truly absolute claptrap, you know. <laughs> but it was, it was, but. No, but uh, there was something in, in uh, one of the news stories um, today that they were giving away, I think, Owen Jones's free book if you join the Green Party. Um, and I don't know if that was the motivation why another above 50,000 people have actually joined. Um, but it's certainly quite quite interesting. But, you know, they, they have... One of the... They were interviewing Natalie Bennett um, uh, last week on, on, I think it was the Sunday Politics. Um, and, and she was basically saying they were, they were really cowering under Andrew Neil's very intense um, uh, questioning about saying that there were certain groups that, they, that were no longer going to be based, they weren't going to be called terrorist organisations um, because they said, oh, you should be a member of pretty much anything you like and you, that's the freedom of your speech. But I think that's kind of taken it out of the way it actually means. Yes, you can, it's absolutely right, you can say different things uh, and things that you believe in, but to be members of organisations that potentially are going to cause, you know, are going to carry out terrorist acts or, or are, uh, you know, wanting those things to happen, that surely, you know, and, and I mean, most of these people who are, who are going to be members of, of terrorist organisations are quite proud to be that, be so. Um, it, it's crazy to think that now, well, you know, if they're not going to be categorised as that, they're just going to be able to so run what free. So what are they categorised as then? Oh, just groups, I think. 
I mean, there's just members in, in of organisations, yeah. Yeah, I noticed yeah. that Caroline Lucas actually distanced herself. Yes, from, uh, she has no her, to do it. Yeah. Her remarks, but, yeah. but I mean, then the Green Party is the the best news for David Cameron, isn't it? I mean, the most of the Conservative central office seems to be promoting the Green Party, don't they? That's yeah. why their membership's risen, because they're <laughs> decimating Labour on the left, and then yeah. uh, you get decimating Labour on the. Yeah, the traditional Labour voter, you might call it, and uh, Cameron's just sitting in the corner, <laughs> grinning from ear to ear, like with Linton Crosby, his little um, friend from down under. Yeah. Ah, you wonder where it's going to where it's going to go from here, um, because it's also they had things like population controls and and really things that's that scary said, stuff. And massive taxes, oh. and they had this idea, which the funny thing was the 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 idea that generally it was almost like the Milton Friedman approach of having a, a negative income tax in effect that people under up to a particular level of income they were it was like a citizens award and it was going to be about seventy five pounds, and I thought my goodness when I heard Caroline Lucas or Natalie Bennett um, talk about this um, award I thought that's just like the idea I'd been talking about and what I'd seen on on YouTube with Milton Friedman, but the difference is with the Green Party they still want job seekers allowance, housing benefit and everything else added on top and, and Andrew Neil said that's going to cost £240 billion a year £240 <laughs> billion. and none of it's going to be paid back that's the thing because Milton Freeman's idea was you give that money as a minimum so that people on a low income can that kind of pays their basic bills but at the end of the day they go out and they work and then obviously they pay tax on that so then, you know when most people want to earn a reasonable amount of money so you know they'll start paying that money back in effect you know and you don't have everything else you don't have job seekers allowance you don't have housing benefit because all that's gone and you just have this one citizens award kind of thing um, but they want everything they want the whole thing and, and they, they couldn't even come up with like 20 billion worth of tax uh, revenue to kind of pay for any of it. And he so says, what was their plan? How well, they, they couldn't do it. They just did all, a wee bit of debt, you know, d- debt for some of it, cutting a little bit. They don't think they, they'll save some money because it's easy to administer. Um, but then you've got all these other taxes on top. So they, I think they came up with about £30 billion potentially of how they could raise that. And But Andrew Neil said, well, where's the other £210 billion? That's you know, absolutely you know. crazy. I mean, yeah. a, a bank is easy to administer... It, yeah. If you just leave the door open, you know, and let people take the money, that's yeah. easy to administer. But yeah. your yeah. bank ain't going to last very long. <laughs> and it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy, you know. And 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 you know, it's it's oh, it's not good. And that's just some of their policies. So I just think you know, it's it's very easy to be taken in by the propaganda. And then, you know, they're targeting yeah young people and going into schools, and they're just saying any old thing you know to get their vote. Uh, but it's it is quite something, and uh, so we'll have to see how it goes. It sounds quite extreme. Yeah. It's going to be good fun, Hugh. <laughs> Can't wait for that general election. Uh, is it the 7th of May? It is, isn't it? It's something around there. Yeah. Yeah, it's only 93 days to go. Well, hey. Uh, something else. Politics. And a great comedy called The Interview. It's a film that we actually watched earlier on this evening, and I have to admit, I absolutely loves it. Um, it has been much hyped. It was the film that allegedly the North Korean government tried to hack into Sony, uh, who was behind the film, and the, the kind of backers, um, and managed to shut their main site down. So they had to actually take it away from the cinemas or delay the production or delay the, the launch of it. And I think it, 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 it launched again a few weeks back in America, but we managed to um, see it today. What did you think, John? Yes, I can see why the North Koreans wanted to... Uh closed down Sony for producing this film. It was not terribly complimentary towards their King Jong-un, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very, very funny, I have to admit. I mean, it was kind of taking the mick, um, but uh, it's, it's certainly, without revealing too much, um, they, they basically they get their, this interviewer, um, this kind of is this American interviewer, and he gets a chance to go across to uh, North Korea um, to uh, interview Kim Jong-un. And just about everything goes wrong, as you could possibly think could go wrong. Um, and during the time, they're asked by the CIA to, to, um, to assassinate uh, Kim Jong-un as well. And of course, they don't manage to do that. Um, but you have to watch the film to see exactly what happens. Uh, but it was, I thought it was actually quite slick and and it kept itself going really well. It was quite good fun. They were rather hapless individuals, so you can imagine the kind of character that Seth Rogen normally uh, 
normally plays. In fact, um, we're hoping that if Fraser has listened to this, he might use some of their techniques on his uh, interview with Colin Beatty in a couple of weeks' time. So, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, so it's next week, actually. <laughs> exactly. I hope it goes a bit better. That's for sure. That might not. <laughs> but it was very good because, I mean, Seth Rogen can be pretty much hit or miss. I mean, I saw a film with him with a recent thing called Bad Neighbours. and that was, <laughs> that was definitely a miss. That was... Terrible. It was one of the worst films I'd ever seen. Normally you like a one-star film. (laughs) But then, talking of one-star films, I also saw a film with James Franco that was at the time of of when it was still a love film. They recommended a film called uh, Spring Breakers. And it had James Franco in it and a big star cast, uh, Selena Gomez and a whole bunch of others. Um, And it was supposed to be this kind of serious, kind of thriller, kind of rapper thriller thing. And it was the worst film I have ever ever seen. I mean it was that bad you find yourself skipping through the scenes till it ends and you had like all the time was this kind of music going in the background and it was just like one long rapper's video and it just I'm sorry I just I couldn't take any more of it and I remember they asked you to write a review and I thought great I can get my own back for being punished for two hours of watching this thing and I remember and, and I wrote it on the on the love film and there were so many people who quite liked the film and I gave it like the lowest you could do was like half a star out of five and I just said it must have been a big chick for Gomez and Franco and, and, and no, you know, they didn't really think about, you know, what the film was actually like and what they were Losing doing. Losing their dignity yeah. for a few million pounds. Yeah, yeah, but I remember because one of them was that Selena Gomez went on TV saying, oh, I'm now a serious actor with films like this and I thought, oh dear. You know, you know, <laughs> it was terrible. Mind you, some of your films are a bit suspect. Patrick, <laughs> as we said, you've given me films that, oh, this is great and I sat through and I thought, what planet is he on? <laughs> I think that, uh, there was it the Nutty Professor. Is that one that you liked? That was oh, oh you, uh, you Norbert. Norbert, that's Norbert. right. Another Eddie Murphy special. I yeah. can't believe that did so badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got one star review from Radio Times. He said, "Yeah, you love this." Yeah. Actually, I did quite like it. That and Nuns Guilty on the Run. Guilty secret. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, Nuns in the Run was a bit like our school days at the end, there, wasn't it? But there's so, lots of good films out just now. I have to say, I saw. Um, uh, the final Lord of the Rings, uh, well, the Hobbit, the Hobbit shows how oh. familiar I am with. with Board of the Rings, actually. <laughs> oh. The third one was very good. Oh, they're still making those. Oh, it's a whole new series, but this was the final one, but this was the Hobbit. The, it was the Five Armies, the Battle of the Five Armies. Mm. Um, it was a bit about a good three hours long. Great. But um, You know that I've got a 90 minute limit, which yeah. is now officially my attention span. Although it's reducing year by year with the advent of Twitter and Facebook and all these things, I can't concentrate. But then I saw what I was hoping would be a reasonable film, but when I saw the, the, the review, and it was truly a terrible review, and then I saw the film, it kind of confirmed that that review was correct, was Taken 3. Oh, I've seen it. Yep. It yep. was yep. terrible. Yeah, and I was so disappointed, because I, Taken 1 and 2, well, Taken, the first one was fantastic, and Taken 2 was okay, it was all right, but Taken 3 was, it was, it was almost like watching Coronation Street, but with a bit of, with guns. It was, but it was that badly done. And it, it, yeah, it, the plot was totally implausible, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, without again giving it away too much, how could he get away with what he did with the police? I mean, yeah, I, it was you too can, many, you can yeah. imagine he goes on the rampage. That's not a giving away too much for the taken yeah. film, and kills many people. And at the end of it, the police take no action against what he's done. But yeah, hey, it was not, spoiler. Yeah, it wasn't. It was. I think because it was a twelve, and the original was an eighteen. And so the, the you know the the fighting scenes they couldn't be gory or I mean not that you need oh, I have to have the gore but you know it has to have a sense of realism you know if somebody's getting killed well they're getting killed so you're going to see you know body parts or whatever it might be or people being you know um, uh, tortured or whatever there was it's the, the, in all fairness they did waterboard somebody in this but I mean that's why I thought I wouldn't take somebody and that was a twelve A I wouldn't take somebody who was twelve or or younger to a film like that I mean how it kind of got away with it. At the same time, I was quite surprised, but it just seemed to be a hot spot of of editing and kind of it just it really destroyed the whole the whole series. To be honest, I think in Guantanamo Bay, if it's still open these days, they could probably get Taken Three. They don't need to do waterboarding anymore. Just put Taken Three on, and uh, they will reveal all their secrets to get the damn thing turned off. (laughs) (laughs) It was just. It could have been so much better, and it was just. It It is, Uh, and if you compare it to a sort of a, a similar. Well, similar kind of genre, I suppose, of the equaliser. I know yes. you saw that. I, I saw to that. Your review. That was brilliant. A totally different league. Yeah, Absolutely. that's what Taken Three should have been. 
Absolutely. That's what it should have been. Because the relationship between Denzel Washington and the girl was really good and it kind of it was nice. So you kind of felt it was much more real. Yeah, and it was more thing. brutal. Yeah, oh, but yeah, in a yeah. way it, it, the plot was better and yeah. the characters were far better developed and yeah. the relationships between the characters you said was much better despite yeah. the brutality. Yeah, and he kind of gave all the baddies a chance to say no or to stop exactly you know? and that was the thing exactly and it was so a, a great film more really like the, film. Sort of the, the, the classic kind of retribution yeah. film sort of yeah. like Harry Brown the first take and yeah. Yeah, much more in yeah. that vein certainly recommend that one yeah yeah but one of the films I saw as well recently although it's been out quite a while was non-stop and I've had varying reviews some people saying it was terrible other people saying it was quite good um, and, uh, and I have to say I quite enjoyed it okay. and uh, it was, it was uh, you know, based on this play again Liam Neeson being a, one of these federal cops and uh, or air marshals um, and he gets this call when he's on the plane that, this, uh, that someone's going to be murdered on the plane every 40 minutes unless they um, receive all this money so he has to find out who it is but it was, it was actually genuinely um, really quite good and, uh, and then I saw a film called Left Behind I've been watching lots of movies in the last few yeah, weeks. Yeah, Hugh, you've got but... more time than me on your hands, that's for sure. <laughs> and I thought, well, it, wasn't, it didn't look too bad, but it was kind of quite like the Left Behind series, and that, and it's quite big in America. And then this time they managed to get Nicolas Cage um, to do the to be one of their main stars, but I think what they paid him, they they had obviously used all the budget on him, and, and they didn't have anything left for anybody else. Okay. Because it was, it was. It, I mean, so the supporting cast was not quite the they same. They weren't quite the same league, but the, quite league. Yeah. In, all, in all fairness, the way, the way it was written. It wasn't actually that bad. I mean, it was a 15s, but there was no language in it. There was no gore or anything like that in it, which is surprising considering now you get that on a 12 in some cases. Um, I don't really know why it was a 15s. I mean, they said, oh, it was a, a you know, moderate threat or whatever. But what was funny, and as you knowing your planes, they had all these scenes of obviously Nicolas Cage, he was a pilot, and he had to fly this plane and land. And of course, all these planes were crashing out of the sky because the people had disappeared, and so they were there, there was no one to fly them. And he had to land, and of course, all the, all the airports were full. They'd been able to land some, um, and he had hardly any fuel left, and they had to land on this motorway and so on. But it was it was like airplane. I mean, I've never seen such an unrealistic picture of a plane ever. I mean, it reminded me of a Red Dwarf days. You know, when you see the plane and the kind of somebody chucking a bu- you know a bowl of water at it. You know, yeah. to have an effect. It was it was so bad. So uh, the entire budget went on Nicolas Cage. I think everything went on him, yeah. and they, yeah. they literally. I thought they must have been at one of these simulator places because you could almost see the shed around it. You know, yeah, there's kind of like cardboard shaking in the background. Know, it was it was it was pretty bad, and I, it kind of felt. Oh, I wish they had just had a bit more kind of you know go to it because if they if they'd spent the money on a bit more effects, it would have been much much better. Um, you know, if that had been Mel Gibson doing it, it would have been far, far better. You know, but it yeah. was because the story was good and they kind of got bits of it quite, quite well. But anything that was on and to do with the flight was just ridiculous, and that just didn't, didn't really work that well at all. Um, but, uh, but it, and some of the characters were kind of cliched as well. But it's, uh, but there, I think it's, it's like it did reasonably well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was yeah. another film that we saw. Excellent stuff. So, yeah, anything else we been watching on the television or uh, any music? So you glad to? that Top Gear's back. Top Finally, Gear Top back. Gear is back, Top and they Gear's are very back. good. I, I really enjoyed the Australian one that they did, did there when they were travelling yeah. in these amazing cars um, going across Australia. I thought it was that. great to take those that 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 Bentley and yeah. uh, take it wrangling uh, cows, you know, smashing it into trees and things. What did <laughs> Bentley think when they were doing that? They might must be one for but the then the advertising. Place. You know, yeah. think about it, a couple of new wings for a yeah. Bentley Continental might cost £20,000, but to yeah. get a one-hour-long advert on yeah. I bet that worldwide Bentley, TV... Yeah. Yeah. That Bentley will probably be on the Bentley stand at Goodwood this year. Yes, you're probably right. That will be on the, as the Top Gear car. I reckon they'll, they'll put that on at Goodwood. Or it might be in the Bentley-approved car somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> on a rental lot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I'll have it. Yeah. But, uh, oh, but it was phenomenal, though, and that Nis- the Nissan was good, and uh, the BMW as well. They were all great cars. Yes. Um, so it was... I like the one when they were doing the... the Testing the braking. Oh, yeah. Using the yeah. highway codes braking <laughs> times, and they were stopping in. Oh, in about a third of the distance. <laughs> not wasn't even it? that. It was, it was incredible. The yeah. brakes is phenomenal. The trouble is, if you've got uh, Gary in his Vauxhall Corsa SRI behind that Bentley and it hits the brakes, well, <laughs> Gary's going to be in the boot. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it. And talking of new cars, mm-hmm. that was very good you mentioned the Corsa. That little segue. The new Corsa is actually not that bad. Not that bad. That's a glowing review for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, seriously. It's, I've been reading reports about it, and it actually gets, I think in what car, it gets at least three and a half to four stars. 
out of five. Three Which is, out of five. Well, I think some of them even get four. The new one that's a turbo SRI aircon, I think, got four out of five. Which is really, as I say, it's a dramatic step forward for the Corsa. So I have to say, I do quite like the look of it. It is quite, the front's quite nice. And is it launched? Nice yep, it's out. I've seen a few out there already. Oh, right, I haven't seen um, any. And, uh, and it's quite competitively priced in that. So it's, uh, I mean, actually, Vauxhall are making some quite nice cars. I don't mind the Adam. Now the Adam's got the new engines, it's supposed to be a bit better as well. Because before they were, the engines were terrible. And, uh, and it, was, it was about as fast as, well, it couldn't even cut. Um, cut the custard as they say ever in a skin of a custard it was uh, well, it had was the, en- the, the engine and transmission from a Vauxhall Viva didn't it or something like that from about 1963 <laughs> it was well, the most up to date when I had one in the, I had a, a Corsa as a BSM car in 2002-2003 and that was the one litre and it, it, I mean people said you know you had to get them up to you had to get your learners up to 70 on the motorway well we couldn't do it just about <laughs> You know, in a long road. You loved that car. Well, I remember horrible. you taking me for driving it once. It was the, one of the worst everyone cars. Was, everyone assumed that I was giving you a driving lesson. It was oh, one of the right. funniest journeys I've I ever had remember, in my life. I remember that journey in Edinburgh, that's true. I think you carved up several buses, <laughs> and I had to pretend to tell you off as you were driving so that uh, they thought that I was... Um, <laughs> telling you off for your terrible moves, but in fact you were the driving instructor. I was driving to the airport, wasn't Carving it? through to try and get a flight. Yeah, it was very, very funny. That, well, uh, yeah, it was a pretty awful car, but uh, you, but you've had a terrible time with courses. Remember when we were at school, you were working for a <laughs> defunct Vauxhall dealer in the Scottish Borders, <laughs> and I think you tried to take a corner in a new course. Oh, yes, that was back in 1993, actually. It's called, I remember, it's called the Corsa E-Drive. And yeah. E was economy, 4-speed gearbox, can you believe it? Uh-huh. And the economy was to remove all the suspension parts, such as the anti-roll bar, which meant that when you got to a corner on a country road, didn't. you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you went straight. Yeah, I remember it was on the Earlston Road. And I, I remember because the, the couple that were looking to buy the car came with me. Oh, it was a test drive. It was a test drive, and you, yeah. you went through And the I was driving, well, the, well the, not quite, but the, <laughs> but the thing is, they said, oh, you drive it to Earlston and we'll drive it back. And because they didn't really know the area that well. And of course, you know, I was like 18 at the time, so I was in you know, prime boy racing mode. Um, and I remember racing along the road. And most cars, I was used to like Fiat Unos that handled really well. They were really light, but they went around bends no problem. Um, and they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't give you any kind of shocks. And I came round as a nasty bend just before you come into Earlston. It's going at the top of the hill, um, and uh, and you come round there, and it's a bit sharper than you think. Um, and quite often you'll see cars in the fields right opposite because they just go too fast and they just can't stop. Um, and it's just a straight downhill section with a hedge. Um, and of course I managed to get round the corner, but then I realised the car was it started to slide and understeer. <laughs> Um, and the women they were just they were getting terrified on board and, and I backed off which is of course the wrong thing to do and the back end came out and it had this huge tank slapper kind of coming around the bend and it was going from one side to the other and I managed to eventually slow the car down enough and it just naturally got its line back um, but then they went silent and they didn't say anything and then I went got to Earlston. What did you say? I said, well, there we are, that's a new Corsa for you. And that, it's, uh, you know, that yeah, was... can imagine the complete silence <laughs> in the car. So did, they didn't buy it then, presumably. Well, they drove back and I remember they drove back at about 20 miles an hour the whole way. It's probably about as safe <laughs> as it would be in that car. That's a funny story. But, but I remember it's four-speed gearbox and, it, and the gears were like, I mean, it really, it, they were so hard to get into like third and fourth. You know, they were really, they didn't go across the gate at all. Yeah. Really. Um, it was a, it was awful. Yeah, I mean, it looked all right, but yeah. it had actually gone backwards from the Nova, which yeah. is saying something. <laughs> <laughs> How do you go backwards from a Nova? Well, Vauxhall managed it. You know. Yeah, their dynamics were terrible. Oh, in those they? days, it was, it was awful. No and it, it had no feel to what was happening. You know, it's it was it was terrible. It really wasn't good. I remember the year after that, I was working for a car dealer in Annick, and this car had been on the lot of Volvo 340 DL and it had been there it almost had a birthday as I say in the car trade it had been on the lot so long and my challenge was to sell it I thought to my sales manager I thought brilliant thanks for that that's a challenge of the century anyway um, an old couple came in and we set off in this car and the steering it was like steering a boat I mean you could go a quarter of a lock either way and it had no bearing on the direction of the car whatsoever. <laughs> and the, the seats were so spongy and kind of Oh, like, oh awful. Yeah, the yeah, gearbox yeah. was like an awful yeah. one. They were built in Holland, you know. Was that an old Renault gearbox or something? I can't remember what engine was in it, but it was so. They must have found a few spare bits of gearbox yeah. on the shelf and just thrown it together. I don't know. It was awful <laughs> anyway. The steering didn't work. The gearbox didn't work. The brakes were spongy. The handling was 
dull, 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 but then dangerous on the limit. And terrible body roll as well. I remember they used to really Oh, it didn't seem to have any suspension at all. It was absolutely awful. Um, The one thing the car did have, though, was heated seats. So, and I couldn't lie. I I wouldn't be a very good salesperson. I said, well, the heated seats are great, aren't they? Aren't heated seats great? See how your seat is getting heated? That's a heated seat. Aren't heated seats great? I managed to keep saying this for about 20 minutes to distract them from all the dynamic qualities of the car, which were non-existent. And they got back and they said, we'll take it. And uh, you could have knocked me over with a feather. And then I thought, really? You sure? What's the date? Is it April the 1st? Then I saw their trade-in, Hugh. Their trade-in car. The only car that was possibly worse and the Volvo 340TL was a Lada Samara. Oh. And I thought, it's my lucky day. I thought, you know, because it was actually better than the car they were trading in, but it was the only car in the UK market, maybe Bari Yugo Sana, which, uh, which was better. So I, I got my £50 commission and I was a very happy boy. Goodness me. Yeah, it's something. I mean, I remember driving a Lada Samara when I was about the same age. I worked in a garage in Duns, just, just as voluntary, and, and uh, used to just do it so I could drive the cars, really. Um, and uh, But I, I remember driving this Lada Samara, and not only did it take about 10, 10 minutes to start the thing, but the, the wheel actually bent. It, the wheel was so thin and so poorly made that when you actually tried to park the car, because it didn't have power steering, um, the wheel would actually flex and move. Um, and almost have your thumbprints in it when you try to actually turn the wheel. Yeah, um, I mean, these were the, maybe the last days of terrible cars. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there were really were, uh, back then, cars that were, were, were terrible. Yeah. Any cars out there in the market now that you would describe as truly terrible? <laughs> well, <clears throat> that's a difficult one. Um, I don't think they're that, you know, there's probably no really bad cars, but I think they're cars that might let you down a bit. Um, I mean... Uh, I'm kind of in two ways about the new Dacia Sandero. Some of them I quite like. I think mm-hmm. some of the higher spec ones are quite good. And I love the idea that you can get a brand new car for 5995, uh, which is incredibly cheap. But when you actually get in it, you realise where they saved the money. And I know you can obviously order things like radios. And I know in my last in my um, podcast I did a couple of weeks ago, I said it is amazing that you can get a car for 595 But you have to kind of be mentally ready for what you're going to get that much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you got it's not what you think it is, and yeah. I also think the seats maybe in the Sandero. If you did a long journey in that, I don't know if they'd be that comfortable. I yeah. found it quite hard. Are they all Renault seats. Like I don't know. They were kind of different. It was the, I found even the diesel version that I drove at Company Car in Action last year just not very comfortable. And I just thought if I was driving this on a long journey, same with the Duster. Although I, I really like the car, I think it could be a great car, and it is a great deal. And if you're not travelling, I think long distances. It's probably comfortable enough, but I found I think it would give me backache if I was driving that car on a long journey. Yeah, the car that I can think of that I've driven the last couple of years that was just truly terrible was the Peugeot 508 Hybrid. Oh, that one, yes. I remember driving that down a company car and just thinking, Uh, what were they thinking? I mean, it just wasn't developed. There was no... It was very heavy, wasn't it? It was really heavy and, and not, it was not... like It was quite clear that it had a, a petrol engine or a diesel engine and an electric motor. I mean, yeah. th- there was no interaction between the two. It was yeah. one or the other. It was just a, a yeah. shocking car. And when you think of things like the Lexus uh, X200, I mean, that, that's yeah. quite a good car and it's yeah. quite fun. All the Infinity. The Infinity Q50 that I, mean, I drove last, uh, a few weeks back, that was, that was very good. Although the only thing, because it's electric steering and it kind of steers itself... I still don't think we're quite ready for that yet. Oh, that, that's, um, the that's the car the only that you issue. need to have a computer science degree in order to work out yeah. the fuel consumption. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, did, one? I did hear that. Um, but everything else is really good, and it was kind of a pity. You just thought if they just shoved on normal hydraulic steering on that, it would be brilliant, because mm-hmm. it would give you real fuel. And I think that's what you kind of miss with it, because it didn't quite feel... It didn't give you the confidence that it was connected. You knew it was, but I just wasn't confident enough that it was going to do what I wanted it to do. It's designed you know? for Americans. And, uh, yeah, I, I always wonder who needs these systems to keep them in lanes and to yeah. turn the lights on automatically and put the wipers on. I thought, why don't you park? And then you go to America and you realise it, it's, it's the Americans. No offence. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so yeah, so it's, it's quite interesting though. I mean, I have to admit, going back to the, the Lexus IS200 Turbo, I actually really enjoyed that car because um, it felt like a touring car. Um, because it was so slickly made and, and the gears and the engine was it just made it all the kind of pops and the sounds of the turbo and it made you feel like you're really kind of 
in some kind of race car because it was just it was so nice to drive it was quite quick um, and everything was just around you where you expect it but it was easy enough just to jump in and drive and it had this lovely three spoke steering wheel that was quite small and it, it did, I have to say between that and the Infinity my, my, and, and I'm not normally a big Lexus fan but I did quite like the I think I would probably choose an IS200 over an, over an Infinity at the moment really? Okay, yeah, you haven't yeah. driven that car yeah, no, I did. I did like it. Once put on the list. I'm looking forward to the Jaguar XE. Yeah, it's already been written up very well. Actually, yeah. it's been getting. I think Motors have given it an award, um, but that's going to be a good car. But then yeah. these cars, these Jaguars, they always get a bunch of awards when they're launched, particularly from the UK press because they're obviously biased. And then they just seem to go into the middle market. And that'll happen with the XE. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the, there's a new XF as well coming out. They're all being re, redone, you know, quite quickly. And there's this new SUV, which is going to be, I think they call it the F Pace. Or yeah, something. I'm not sure about um, that name. I don't know about the name, but the car looks phenomenal. And looks, I was trying to get it does my mother interested in one of those, only so I can get a shot in it. <laughs> but yeah, it was well, not, you know, absolutely. Um, but, uh, but no, it's, that, that does look good. And I think the XE does look nice. And I think it could be a genuine step forward for them. And, uh, you know, and I think they'll get the sales. Because it will be contract tire and, and leasing for things like that. I mean, so it's, it'll, it's be, the, it'll be a good deal. It's the the money coming in from India that's doing it, isn't it? Yeah. Because up yeah. to now, Jaguar just haven't had uh, a broad enough range. Yeah. You know, the estate car turned up five years after the saloon. Eventually, uh, you got a diesel engine with the correct yeah. emissions for the fleets, but only at the yeah. last minute. Whereas if you look at BMW, Audi, Mercedes, uh, within a year of the launch, the range is phenomenal from yeah. a, a 500 brake horsepower supercar to a Five gram per kilometer, whatever this emissions. I think the new one is the new one does have a good range from the two liter diesel right up to the five liter V eight, or no, actually the three three and a half liter V six. I think uh, supercharged. And is it going to be a stage, a coupe, Um, a four door coupe like a BMW three series? Possible. There's possibility of an estate. I think. See, this is the trouble. Yeah, the cars. um, The the full range turns up four years later. Yeah, they need I, to have them ready. I would need to check. Well, no. it, it gets launched in May, so we'll, we'll probably get more information then. I know that, for example, the new XF, obviously it's quite an estate version of that, and that's going to come, I think, quite early on as well, if not right from the start. So they are trying a bit with that. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's it's going to take a bit of time mm-hmm. with Jaguar, but I have to say, I do, there's something about a Jaguar, especially when you drive those F-Type V8 supercharged things, they are just lovely I mean the noise is just yeah. great you know I think they do look good and the coupe looks fantastic um, I haven't yet driven that but that would be one if there's any Jaguar dealers listening please send me one and I'll happily drive it yeah we need to know why it's so expensive the only way we know is if we drive it thank you <laughs> I don't understand how it's because I always thought that was a rival to the sort of Cayman and Boxster yeah. Which are cars that you can get in a decent spec for between forty uh, and forty-five thousand. Because the coupe starts at fifty grand, right? But the one that they recommend is sixty grand, which Whereas is the Cayman middle. starts at thirty-five, thirty-six, yeah. like that. and it's a light spec. But there are discounts, though. I mean, I've seen already the F-type um, convertible. Um, some of them were were less than fifty grand, were like forty-eight, and they were quite nice versions as well. But so why do the manufacturers do that? Why do they put the prices so high? Because yeah. if you're, it puts you off for a start, yeah. and it means that the depreciation looks terrible because yeah. in two years' time they're selling for half the price. And also, for company users, a lot of uh, the, the tax the, is based, the tax on, is based the, on, yeah, the, on the, the list price of the car. Yeah. So why not have the list price as low as possible yeah. and then maybe charge for the options as, yeah. as the German ones do? Yeah. Never understand that. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I don't think it's basically... I mean, I think the F-Type, it, it looks... More dramatic and more and kind of bigger than the Porsche, but it, as you say, it was what we thought it was going to be in that marketplace mm-hmm. against a Boxster or something like that. But it's clearly priced quite a bit above it. Yeah, they plunked it right against the nine eleven, yeah. which then leaves the XK sort of sitting yeah, on its own as a GT. Although I think actually that. the, the, yeah. the and they look pretty good actually. Yeah, they do. They're very classy, very nice car. Yeah, I think it started off kind of bland, a little bit Hyundai esque. Yeah, and now it's actually turned into a really sharp yeah. looking car. Yeah, sorry, Jaguar. Jaguar <laughs> <laughs> being compared to Hyundai. Yeah, well, it didn't look brilliant when it was first launched. It looked kind of cheap. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the thing. Well, I was going to say there's a new Mazda MX-5 coming. Uh, I think July, August time. That should be. That's supposed to be lighter than the original, or lighter than the Mark II, and it's already had a very good write up. So that that I think that's going to be a fun car yeah, and quite cheap. Bit because, of summer fun. Yeah, because even the the last of the well the Mark II versions, you could get a new one for like fourteen and a half thousand pound. For and for what you got was a one point yeah. eight open top 
you know, great, great fun car. I mean, what can you get for that kind of money? Yeah, and you're um, not going to lose much on yeah, that. Yeah, they hold the value very, very well. Five years, you probably still get yeah, it. Yeah, easily. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, they were they were great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of new stuff coming. There's a new Ford Focus RS. Who's going to have like three hundred and fifteen horsepower, and it's going to be four wheel drive. Oh, four wheel um, drive. Yeah, Good. yes, it's been Good. launched. Or just the the some of the press have had that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that looks like that'll be a cracker of a car. I'm loving these fast hatchbacks. Yeah, I, I, I just I love them. I can't get enough of them. I've got one myself, and the one that they're just launching is Audi with the RS three sport right. version. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably coming in around about forty thousand yeah. pounds. Yeah. But it's a completely practical five door hatchback that looks. Kind of ordinary. Yeah. Three hundred and seventy brake horsepower. Yeah. I mean, right. this these figures do the sixty all wheel drive. You're talking about right. four point two seconds to sixty. I mean, these yeah. are the figures that yeah. you couldn't I mean, dream about. Yeah. And you still probably, get, a Ferrari four thirty would have been probably struggling yeah. to get four point two. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is where we are, and it still yeah. probably does thirty five to the gallon. Yeah. Like, absolutely phenomenal what and the it, manufacturers have done. It's like <clears throat> I saw an advert for a Golf. Turbo easily just said the Golf GTD, which is a nice car and nice looking, quite understated, but still has a nice look to it, you know. Um, and on a on a, I think that was for the the five door on a two year deal, um, it was six payments down. The base rate was two hundred pound a month plus VAT. Um, so you put twelve hundred pound down. And it was a two year. I think that was based on eight thousand miles a year. But for that kind of car, that normally would cost you about twenty five, twenty six grand. But it's a diesel. It's killing us all with its particulates. Why are they legal in America? Why are diesels illegal in America and have been for years? Because they're killing us all. Finally, people are realizing it. Don't buy diesels. They're <laughs> far too complicated, and they kill us. I think that argument will have to come for another day. <laughs> you love your diesels I do sure. like my diesels you even when I had a Montego diesel all those years ago you love killing us with your particulates well, <laughs> I think me, you quite a lot of smoke actually I did, did make quite a bit I remember Montego. following you once and it was like following the space shuttle I think actually that probably used less fuel as well <laughs> <laughs> But let us know if you have any particular car inquiries, if you'd like to find out about a particular car, um, please email, email us at hattrickandramsey at gmail.com and we'll do our best to get the car for you um, and see if we can get you a write-up. Uh, but thanks very much for listening. It's been a joy to make the show. Thanks very much, Jonathan. It's been absolute, uh, It's been a lot of fun having you on the show and uh, I w- uh, wish you many uh, safe flights and safe journeys on your travels. Thank you very much. Great to be back and I hope to be back again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.